And we've all like have heard, I'm sure, the whole Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the five stages of grief. And they are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I would say that <laughs> I have gone through all those phases, but what what I think is interesting, and I, I don't think this is just me, but it's sort of like like Groundhog Day, I keep going through those phases, right? So it's not like I go, denial, check that off the list. Now let's go on to anger. It kind of recycles through and it's like less less intense each time. So I do feel like I am, you know, processing it all and coming out on the other side. Welcome to Aging in Style, the podcast dedicated to celebrating aging and what it takes to do it well. I'm Lori Williams. I'm a certified senior advisor and senior housing expert. In each episode, you'll learn stories of older adults who are thriving in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and in some cases, in their hundreds. Whether you're an older adult or the child of an older adult, this podcast is filled with insightful resources, organizations that are doing incredible work, and stories that will inspire you to volunteer, learn, and who knows, maybe even skydive in your golden years. Hi, welcome to today's episode of Aging in Style. Today, we are talking about a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a while, but I did not feel quite ready to kind of take this on. It's very personal and very raw, and I had mentioned it to my producer, Anna, a few months ago that I had noticed in this journey that I've been on with my husband, and if you have listened to the podcast, then you know about the journey that we're on right now personally. And if not, my husband had a stroke on Christmas Day. And then two days later, he had three more strokes. So he is affected on his right side. He is still in rehab and will be coming home August 11th. So it's been, you know, a season of life where I am (laughs) in the role now of caregiver and I've counseled so many people throughout my career in this but now i am on the other side of it and it's a different a different view from this side so you always hear about grief when someone has died and my father died when i was younger so i've experienced that awful grief but when someone is still alive but has had a significant illness or accident you know say they have been diagnosed with alzheimer's or had a stroke like my husband you also grieve, and I'd say it's the same process of grieving. You're also grieving who they were and the life that you had and because everything has changed. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I have found, because I'm on several like stroke support groups, caregiver support groups, and I find uh, people are talking about this, about grief, and but I don't really see it being talked about in other ways. So and we've all like have heard, I'm sure, the whole Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the five stages of grief. And they are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I would say that <laughs> I have gone through all those phases. But what what I think is interesting, and I, I don't think this is just me, but it's sort of like like Groundhog Day, I keep going through those phases, right? So it's not like I go, denial, check that off the list. Now let's go on to anger. It kind of recycles through and it's like less less intense each time. So I do feel like 
I am, you know, processing it all and coming out on the other side. And so I've made notes along my way because I do like to share with other people. And it I feel it's helpful for me to journal some things that, you know, through this process and, uh, you know, that have helped me because I see it on this side now and it is so much harder than I ever would have expected, you know, being on, I mean, I knew it'd be hard, but it's just, it's just, you know, things that you, you notice when someone that, you know, you love is now in a different way of functioning. Like there's things that you miss and you grieve things like, I grieve the way my husband walks because he's now not able to walk or he walks with a, with a cane. He can walk some, but he's mostly in a wheelchair. But my husband, he's a big guy and he has like, he walks with this purpose and he just is kind of like the rock that we always got things done. If we needed something done around the house, I mean, he was like, you know, carrying furniture down the stairs, carrying a ladder. I mean, just like the kind of fix it guy. And like he walked like with such purpose and strength. And so I think of that and like I grieve that he will likely not walk that way again. So, I mean, they're like small things that kind of creep up on you and you just kind of go through that whole like anger and sadness and everything. The way that he talks because it's affected his speech. So when I call him and it goes to voicemail and I hear his voicemail, the first couple of times that was really, that was really hard. And then now, I mean, I like it when it goes to voicemail, I hear his voice. And, you know, of course, he's working hard to to get back to where he was. But with the stroke, I mean, it is a, you know, it's a life-changing event. The other thing is kind of unexpected, and I did write this down. I miss the little things that he did that annoyed me. And they're so minor. And I'm just like, gosh, why was I so petty about it? And we're always like that, right? We look back on things and we're like, we did this thing when we watch TV. He always like knows what movie or show an actor was in. And, you know, we'd be watching something on Netflix and he would pause and say, that is so-and-so and he was in such and such show and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't care. <laughs> and now I feel awful. And I actually apologize to him for that because now I'm like, I am so sorry. I told you I didn't care. I mean, I literally said that. I would just, one day, it was just like, I don't care. Just someone watch the movie. But I'm just like, I'm so sorry. I said that I do care. And I want you to tell me. And funny enough, I had him home last weekend and we were watching a show and he knew who someone was and he was trying to tell me. And luckily I was like, let me Google real quick because I don't know everyone. And I'm like, it's so-and-so actor and they were in this. And he said, yes. So anyhow, we're finding a way to adapt. But the stages of grief are, to me, exactly the same as when someone you love has died. The same thing when someone you love has undergone some life-changing, life-altering event to who they were. And now, and it's not to say that, I mean, I feel like we get stuck on the negative of it, but we have to also embrace this is what we've been handed in life. Of course, I am always going to go on the positive side. So if if you're not positive, just kind of bear with me here for a minute. I mean, we certainly did not want this to happen. I never in a million years dreamed that me at 58 years old at the time would have a severely disabled husband and that this would happen to him and our lives would be completely turned upside down. But that is what 
you know, life has handed us. That is in, in me personally. I am, you know, a, a person of faith, and I do believe God gives us these these trials for a reason, and that there is something something that we will get out of this, and something you know, this is this is our path, and there's a reason for it. So, as a family, I do feel like, in some ways, we've become closer. There's been not to say that it hasn't caused a lot of disruption within our immediate family because. You know, everyone processes it differently, and I have two kids. One processes it one way, the other's processing another way, and that's absolutely fine. They're different ages. I think it's harder on my my youngest, so it's just, it's different for everyone. But, you know, to kind of get back to the stages of grief, denial, 100%, you know, when it happened, I mean, I knew exactly what was going on, but I remember... You know, we got him, he was care flighted. I knew he was having a stroke. I got him to the hospital. He's care flighted to the right place, et cetera. And, you know, I'm just like, okay, we're, he's going to be fine. Then, of course, in ICU, two days later, he has three more strokes. But still throughout all that, I kind of look back now and I'm like, gosh, I was just sort of like not processing it because I just honestly kept thinking, course you know i do go on the positive side i kept thinking he's gonna be fine i mean maybe he'll have a cane but this all this stuff is gonna happen and i'm researching strokes and all the great stuff the brain can do and and reading everything that you know it is it does take a long time to overcome a stroke but i'm also like thinking in the back of my mind like in three months he's gonna be fine well no that's that's not so there is there's denial and then i think probably took me a couple of months to really get to the anger side of it. Then I became angry, like, why Why would this happen? And why would this happen on Christmas Day in my house with my kids? And, you know, we love Christmas. And, you know, why would this, why would this happen? And, you know, I've gone back and forth with some anger. But for me personally, I moved through anger pretty quickly. And I do feel like it's because, and I'm going to get into like three tips that I want to share with people. But, you know, one is that I let it out. I mean, I have people to talk to. I screamed in my car many times driving back and forth the long drive from the rehab and the hospital and everything. And I feel like it's okay to be angry. And I know there's there's some people who don't feel like they can express anger, but I think you can be angry. And I remember having this conversation with my daughter that we can be angry and we can be angry at God about it too. I mean, we we can, but then we have to move past that stage. That's where we get in trouble is if we stay in the anger phase of it and be angry and bitter. And there's things throughout this process that I honestly felt kind of angry. This sounds so like silly, but I had an SUV that I loved and I just, it, was, it wasn't even brand new. It was like seven years old, but still I loved it. And I could not physically, cause I'm short, I could not get his wheelchair into the back of this SUV. I realized I need to just get a minivan because they, you know, they're easy to get the wheelchairs in. They have the seats that go down. It's cut down lower and it's going to be easier for him to get into it. And so I went to the place and I was just like, you know, I'm talking to the salesperson. And everyone's like, are you excited? I'm like, no, no, I'm not excited. I mean, it sounds awful because it's a brand new car and everything, but it's a minivan, you know, but I got through it, you know, I bought the car and, you know, through the whole, like you're in the finance office or whatever, the the girl asked me like three times. She's like, well, so are you super excited? And I'm just like, what What part are you not processing of this that is not like I'm excited about buying a minivan. I have to buy a minivan for a specific reason. And then she's, I guess, not not getting it. Or maybe it's just how they're 
used to not really listening to people, but she's like, so are you going to have a fun vacation this summer? And I'm just like, no. But I mean, I left there in the minivan and I was, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bitter about it, about leaving my SUV. And now I'm a minivan driver, but I've had it, I guess, two, two and a half weeks now. I've gotten over it because I picked up Mark. He was easy to get him in the car. It was easy to get the wheelchair in. It's a huge car. We've named her Large Marge. (laughs) And I have some issues backing out of the garage without, you know, taking out the garage. But uh, so far, so good. But uh, it does take me a minute to get out of my garage. But it's all good. And you know what? I am thankful now that I was able to to go buy this car that we need. You know, it is a new car. It has a new car smell. So, you know, it has things my older SUV didn't have. It's got Apple CarPlay, which is really pretty darn cool. So I am, I'm over that. I'm over the anger and bitterness there. But what I'm trying to say is it's okay if you feel angry or bitter about things that maybe seem kind of petty and silly to others. But you know what? It's, it's how you feel. And you need to just be in that moment and feel those feelings because they're your feelings. And this is, it's a traumatic event and an entire family. And it is, it is grief. Even though the person is still physically here, it is grief that you're feeling. The third stage of grief is bargaining. I don't think I really went through bargaining, to be honest with you. It's bargaining is like, you know, I'll do this if you make them better. I'll do this and do that. I, I don't really feel that I went through much of a bargaining stage. I just kind of stepped into action because initially he was supposed to come home in June and I knew that I needed to make a bathroom handicapped accessible. So I was just all action there and thankfully had some great friends who helped with that. But I don't feel like I spent a lot of time in bargaining. Um, depression, I, you know, to be honest, I had a moment of depression. I had a total freak out, just kind of triggered by one of my little dogs. We have two little old dogs, little geriatric dogs. And then we have our golden retriever, which is a puppy. (laughs) We're busy over here. But, you know, one morning, one of the little dogs had an accident and it's kennel overnight. I mean, it was bad. And I'm just like freaked out. And my daughter happened to be here and she got to hear, you know, all of it because she didn't want to help with the cleaning the kennel out and it was just like I just like flipped my lid and just had like the release of of anger and 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 depression I would say depression I mean I felt really really sad and sad for myself and sad sad for my kids and that is like another one of those emotions or stages that kind of cycles through for me is that I feel sad for my kids because I lost my dad at 25 and my kids are 19, well, at the time, 19 and 26 when when Mark had a stroke on Christmas Day. So I'm going to say for me, not really depressed, but sad, just like extreme sadness over that this would happen. And they're so young. And just praying that he gets well, that he's here with us, so that he can walk my daughter down the aisle when she gets married. And, you know, my dad died right before my wedding, so I didn't have that experience. And I would say that that was like extreme sadness or bordering on depression. And then fifth stage is acceptance. And I would say we are on Sunday, it will be six months since his stroke. And I would say that I am close to acceptance. I mean, I'd say I am accepting, but you know, sometimes I'll go back into like a little anger or into some sadness. But for the most part, I feel like 
I'm into the acceptance of this is our life has changed. I understand that. I feel like I processed it. And then we're just going to move forward with doing what we need to do to make his life easier and to continue with therapy and, and for him to get better. And so I do see, that's why I wanted to kind of show how the stages of grief kind of go along, not just when someone has passed on, but also they relate to someone who has had a life-altering event. So my best tips, I have three tips I just want to share with anyone who has a loved one who maybe has been diagnosed with dementia or Parkinson's or has had a stroke or been in an accident or a traumatic brain injury, whatever it may be, something that has altered their ability to physically get around their physical ability or cognitive ability. So these are my tips. And like I said, I've kind of been like putting these in the notes in my phone throughout this process. And I just wrote them all down today. And, and this is what, what I have for you. And this is what's helped me. I hope it'll help you too. Number one is get it out. All that you're feeling, get it out. If you've got trusted friend or a family member, someone that you can just let it all out, whether that means you drink three glasses of wine and just ball your eyes out while you're on the phone with your best friend that may or may not have happened with me <laughs> it did just like someone that you trust that you can say all those things that sound really awful when they come out but you just have to get them out because we all have these thoughts and we can't say oh no we shouldn't be thinking that it's okay you're in trauma and grief and you can and and you know say it to someone that you trust and who loves you and you love them and you know that you know you're safe they're a safe person to say these things to if you don't have that or if you do but there another way to really get it out is to journal and i'm usually pretty good at journaling throughout this i really have told myself let's journal more to myself and i haven't done it i've mostly like when things hit me just put them in notes on my phone scream in your car, scream in your garage, scream in your house if you're home alone. I see nothing wrong with that. And I just feel like it's a way to express it and get it out and to say, you know what, this is unfair and life life is unfair and this sucks and it's okay to say this absolutely sucks. And I say that to Mark all the time because it's hard like to understand him and he'll start getting frustrated and I'm like, dude, I get it. You need to be frustrated. I don't, that's a feeling that you absolutely should be feeling. I'm frustrated too. And this does suck, but we have to move forward together. We're a team now. We've, got, we've always been a team, but we're a team in this, trying to get forward or move forward with it. And it's hard and it's, it's okay to say the situation sucks. It's okay. You know, it's funny. I talked to a gentleman yesterday on the phone who was looking for a place for his mother. And he said, you know, she's 92 years old. This is not what was supposed to happen. She was supposed to just be watching her soaps and have a heart attack and die. That's what was supposed to happen. She wasn't supposed to get dementia and have all this, you know, she's wandering and all these things are happening. And now I've got to find a way to pay for a place for her because I have to work and not care for her. He's like, this was not the plan. And I said to him, like, I totally get it. But we have no control over the plans. Certainly, I did not plan at 58 and 62 that my husband and I would be on this journey. So we can have all the plans we want. There's that saying, the way to make God laugh is to tell him our plans. <laughs> that is true. So 
I mean, you kind of have to get past that thinking that this wasn't supposed to happen. Well, sure. I mean, nobody, nobody in their right mind wants this to happen, right? But this is the hand we've been dealt and we have to deal with it. The other thing is like to get out is that it's very overwhelming. And I will share this on my part. It's overwhelming to suddenly I'm in charge of all the things that my husband did. And so, of course, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. You know, I've had a flat tire. I had a, the fence break and the pool issue. I mean, I had all this stuff. And I'm just like, you know, there's points where I'm just like, are you kidding me? But I'm not going to be bitter about it. I have neighbors who've helped me. You can learn anything on YouTube. I'm just going to tell you I fixed my toilet by watching a YouTube video and I fixed my printer. You know, you can learn anything on a YouTube video. And then you can always have people help you with things. But I will say that's another thing to get it out, though, because it is frustrating that now you're having to deal with these things. Like, for example, and I've shared this before, like I didn't have my husband's passwords for certain things. So I had to take his cell phone and would, you know, change the password, have to have an email to his phone. Thank God I had his phone so I could change passwords on everything. And I was able to get pretty much everything done. But of course, now, you know, new things have come up like a toll tag on my car because I sold the car. I needed to get another toll tag. I had to call them and get everything put in my name and figure that out. But, you know, it's just things that take some time. But it is. It's it's frustrating and you're busy with other things in life. And now you've taken on their role, all the things that they did. You know, I've told Mark, I appreciate all that you did for our family. There's some things I didn't even really think about that you did, but you did a lot. And, you know, I truly appreciate that you did it. But on the flip side, it's one of those things that is overwhelming to the person who now has to do all their stuff and the other person's stuff. So get that out. You could be mad about that. Number two, which comes right after get it out, is don't get stuck. So don't get stuck in one of these phases. Like don't get stuck in anger. And I'm on several of these Facebook groups for stroke survivor caregivers and that sort of thing. And there's people who are so angry. They're so stuck in the anger and I mean, they just can't get past it. That's unhealthy for you too, because our body is hanging on to all these emotions and this anger and you're not getting it out. And I just think that that's not, that's not a good way to live your life. It's not good for you and it's not good for your loved one that you're going to be caring for. So what I have noticed in this journey is like there are times where I will just kind of zone out and go to the past. Think about like, for example, I was thinking the other day, Gosh, we'll never really go to Disney World like we did before. I mean, maybe we'll be able to go, but in another way. But before, we were just like the family. We had this plan and we were all like, you know, run into all the parks and we, we made sure we saw everything. And that's really something that probably won't happen again. You know, there's just certain things. And then I would be in that moment and just really like thinking of all the stuff and feel really deep sadness. And then I'm like, okay, you're getting stuck in the past. You can't do that. The past is the past. We have great memories. Thank God we got to do all these things. We did a lot of fun things, a lot of trips, a lot of great things with the kids. It's going to look different going forward, but I can't sit there in that moment and be sad and depressed feeling about it or angry. And I don't feel angry. It's more for me when I'm thinking in the past, it's like it's more of a sad thing. But you got to force yourself out of that. Move forward. Don't sit there dwelling in the past. Don't get stuck on one of those stages of grief. 
in the denial or anger or bargaining or depression. Do your best to move forward. And I understand people have depression and, you know, you may need medication for that to get past that. So I'm not, I'm just not dismissing that at all. But only you know yourself. So if you feel you're getting really stuck down in one spot, maybe it's time to talk to a therapist. If you're not talking to someone in your family, or maybe the anxiety or depression, maybe it's time for a medication if that is needed. And number three, so we've got one, get it all out. Two, don't get stuck. And then three, find support. For me, I'm so thankful that I do have my tribe of people who have surrounded me and have helped me through all of this. I'm so like beyond thankful for everyone. People that are my neighbors, people I've been friends with for years, my family, people that work in the senior living industry that I've Maybe I wasn't close friends with them, but they have supported me and they've just been, you know, wonderful and supported Mark. And through this journey, I have put it out onto social media. I put it on Facebook and people have followed the journey. And I initially put it on there because we have family all over the place. So I initially did it for my family, put it out there so everyone could keep up what was going on with Mark. So I didn't have to have the same conversation over and over while he was in ICU. But now I've had so many people come to me and thank me for sharing the journey, sharing the journey we've been on and being a testament to having faith and overcoming and staying a family, staying whole and supporting each other. So I'm like, that's not was not my intention. But you know what? I'm glad if it helps one person, maybe that's why this happened. So find your support. Find it through through your church. Find it for me is through faith. Also, I just I have a strong faith. Find it through support groups. There's so many different support groups out there. Whether you want to go and you know meet with people for a support group in person, or there's tons of Facebook groups. And I don't say a whole lot on the groups, but I love reading them all. Like at night, I will go on to all the different groups that are stroke survivor support groups or caregivers of people who've had strokes. And I'm just like, wow, I was thinking exactly that, what someone wrote. And sometimes, you know, the stories are real sad. And sometimes, or most of the time, it's just like, are you in my head? (laughs) You know, I was thinking the same thing. So it's good to know that you're not alone. So for example, if your loved one has Alzheimer's and dementia, Alzheimer's associations, a wonderful, wonderful group to be a part of. There's tons of support groups online on Facebook. There's Alzheimer's support groups, or if your loved one has Parkinson's or traumatic brain injury or stroke, whatever it may be, I guarantee you there's a support group on Facebook or somewhere out there. But for me, being on the Facebook group and just kind of seeing these people, we're, I mean, we're living the same you know, parallel lives. We all understand what we're going through. So it's finding support in some way because you can't do this alone. And not everyone has kids. I mean, there's people on the group that I'm sad that they have, they have no one. Maybe they're even older. They're, they're, you know, most of them are older, like in their 70s and 80s, and they're doing, trying to support, you know, their family member who's already been discharged from the hospital and needs a lot of care. And I'm thankful in our journey that through good insurance, Mark is still receiving rehab. And so we're, you know, six months into this and he's still getting help. So for me, I'm very thankful for that. But also, when I say find support, 
there's a lot of people who are like, they feel they have to do this on their own. And sometimes financially, it does come down to that, unfortunately. But if you're home and you're trying to care for someone who has a disability and you're the primary caregiver, try to find some kind of support. Get a caregiver there. You've got to take a break for yourself. We've talked about this so many times on other uh, podcasts about being a caregiver. I experience it now. I see. And I've only had Mark come a few times and I, I see how much time it takes and you know what 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 happens to the caregiver so you have to number one you have to take care of yourself and you have to find a way find something to do that that you enjoy doing don't give up yourself and whether that's getting a massage or going for a walk or knitting or whatever it may be you have to find a way to continue on with those things that are important to you that give you that that break I get it now. Over the years, I've talked to so many women and men who, you know, they're like, I promised my wife or my husband that I would keep them home and take care of them. And on the outside looking in, you're like, yeah, and you did. But now you're at the point, they're not safe. You're not safe. And you have to make the decision to move them into a place that is going to be able to meet their needs. And so... I see how hard it is now on the other side. It's easy to see from the outside, but on the other side, you want to take care of them. You want to keep them home and you feel guilt. You feel all kinds of emotions just to even think about if I had to move move my loved one to assisted living. But if that is the case, if they're unsafe, you're unsafe and you have to, then you have to make that decision and you can't worry what other people are going to think about you and how they're going to judge you. And I see people talk about that a lot on these Facebook groups that they're worried what their neighbors would think, what their kids would think. Who cares? You've got to do what is best for you and your spouse or your mother or whoever your loved one is that you're taking care of. You have to do what is best safety-wise for that person and for yourself. Anyhow, those are my top three. Get it all out. Don't get stuck in a phase. And three, find support because you can't go it alone. That's what I have for you. That is grieving someone who is still alive. And I hope it helps you. Or if you know someone it would help, please forward the podcast on. Thank you for listening to be shared this story. I know it's a very personal story and it's kind of hard to get it out and and to share it with y'all. But Hey, that's number one. Get it out, right? (laughs) So y'all take care and please go and like and follow the podcast if you haven't already and be sure to share it with your friends and family or anyone you know who might be in need. All right, take care. We'll see you next week. 